but uh, as you notice, if you haven't been with us before in Persis, look, come here, Brother Steve. People that don't get to join us in person on Wednesday, I'll make sure they know how we dress up and we're formal on Wednesday it's nights. It's whatever. You know? So, anyway. <laughs> uh, come as you are, as they say. So, uh, if you are joining us, we're so glad you're with us tonight. And uh, if you couldn't make it, we miss you, but uh, glad you're with us. Uh, we got folks standing by online. Let them know you're there. Say hi. We always want to emphasize the prayer button in the bottom right hand corner we want to be able to be praying for you be a blessing in every way we can so click on that it's private secure goes to one source but we want to be able to be a blessing to you any questions Richard standing by I can get those answered for you but glad you're with us tonight we uh, started last week and uh, on our journey we've been uh, going to walk through Ephesians here and so uh, we'll be picking up and uh, chapter 15 tonight and moving forward through there so uh, just a couple of prayer requests. Uh, we have many folks that are out struggling with all this uh, illness and sickness that's going around. So uh, keep folks in prayer. If you see folks that aren't here, you missed them Sunday or missing them tonight, reach out to them, shoot them a text, let them know you're uh, thinking about them, praying for them. Uh, just continue to pray for uh, our sister and uh, for Vicki and Mike and Julia and their family. And uh, still some challenges there, some difficult uh uh, you know situations so uh, they would covet your prayers uh, for God's uh, peace and God's uh, perfect will so uh, them uh, also for Olivia this will be Bob and Joy's uh, granddaughter uh, she'll be having the cyst that has uh, grown is pressing on her skull and her brain uh, she's in the, will be going in to get that uh, drained and hopefully that is only a cyst and that does it one and done it doesn't come back and then uh, keep Cal in their prayer. This will be the Terry and Charlotte's grandbaby who uh, is uh, you know, still battling uh, the, uh, the effects uh, from his birth. So uh, we got some little ones that need uh, God's protection and God's hand upon them as being the great physician. So just keep them in prayer. Uh, trying to think of others. Brother Lloyd uh, failed last week. So... Uh, just uh, strength over his body, so I may be missing some folks. Uh, how's y'all's grandbaby? Is it y'all's grandbaby? Okay, who was who are we praying for Thursday? Your niece. Any change in her situation? Is she? Good for her. All right, well, that's good. God's in the miracle business, is he not? Yes, he is. All right, well, let's pray, and we will uh, jump in uh, to Ephesians and uh, keep on going here and find God's truth for us tonight. Father, thank you for tonight, the opportunity to gather. And Father, pray for those that, uh, we want to pray for those that aren't here tonight. Just ask for your comfort, your strength upon them, Father. We just ask that you bring healing according to your perfect will, but bring about your peace, that uh, you're still in control, that they would seek your face and uh, find uh, the strength in your promises. Father, tonight, I ask that you prepare our hearts for your truth anoint every word that's spoken we ask these things in christ's name amen all right last week we talked about we kind of laid the foundation or laid the foundation and talked about that uh and a lot of times you'll read commentaries uh and uh on the book of ephesians and it's referred to as like a survival manual for christians for believers uh ephesus was thriving 
under the persecution that was taking place. So when Paul wrote the letter to them, he's writing them to encourage them that, look, this isn't why it's a survival manual. He said it's not about just surviving. It's about thriving in the goodness of God and the promises of God. And Ephesus was doing a good job of that. And uh, tonight we're going to see some things that Paul points out. And uh, what was if, uh, excuse me, emphasizing that is the fact that Paul brought into this mystery that uh, was shared through this gospel that Christ lives in us. And, and Paul was bringing that to the forefront and uh, to them to keep that in mind and understand that they are to be living out their testimony, living out the goodness of God in their life uh, for others to see. And so we, uh, we emphasize that purpose. So tonight, uh, let's pick up here in verse 15. And uh, got a question for you. Have you ever found yourself in a situation that you had to struggle to breathe? Maybe had the breath knocked out of you? I mean, even that's different levels of having the breath, you know. Sometimes you get your, the breath knocked out of you, and you're like, oh, you catch it. Other times you get, lose it so hard, you're like, you kind of like start panicking. Is it going to come back? Uh, I've had that happen a couple of times. Uh, maybe I know my cousin struggled. He's a doctor now, but he struggled with asthma very bad. I mean, he had asthma very severe as a young, when we were kids growing up, and I'd see him, you know, an attack come on and see him just fighting for his breath. I remember as a, I was perfectly fine. It, you know, it scared me to death seeing him go through that. Um, you know, maybe if you've ever been in a situation, uh, I remember one time I was underwater, doing things underwater, you know, playing, but underwater, and I got, and I got stuck. My foot got stuck on something. I couldn't, like, get it loose immediately. And, well, that was a quick panic. Because you realize, I don't, I got to do something quick here in a second. And I kept on twisting and turning, and finally my foot came loose from a branch or something. And uh, yeah, also a little bit of a ways down, it was in a lake. But then when it got loose, when I kind of saw, I realized how deep I kind of was to already be out of breath if I could make it, you know, to the surface. So I say all that. So it, it's not a fun situation. But when you find yourself there, whenever you get that air, that expands your lungs and you get your breath back. How does that feel? I uh, like, yes, <laughs> I'm going to live after all, you know. It, you went from thinking this may be it to, wow, you get your breath back. So here's my point in, in those two things I'm bringing up. Does that not change your perspective? Just what we take for granted breathing. I've never struggled with asthma. I know many people did growing up. Some people outgrew it. Some don't still struggle with it. Um, you, you know, but it, it changed. If you ever get in a situation like that, that you, you are in a fearful state, it gives you a different perspective that you just take breathing for granted. So here's my point. If oxygen is that important to our physical life, our source of life, and it is, to say the least, Paul points out how important is prayer then in comparison to our spiritual life. I can't live without oxygen. There's no way, I'd, which we would. We would die without oxygen. Spiritually, can we not die spiritually without prayer? Find yourself in a wilderness, lost, feeling abandoned, forsaken, discouraged, fearful, not an answer one. Paul puts an emphasis on prayer here when he reaches out to Ephesus here. And uh, we're going to look at, 
And uh, he brings out how important it is to the Christian life. If we would, just look with me in Ephesians 1, verse 16 there. And uh, if we have there, it says, do not, what? Please, don't quit. Does it give any circumstances there? Does Paul give us any circumstances? No, no circumstances. Do not cease to give thanks for you always remembering you in my prayers. Paul says, I never stop praying for you. I'm in continual prayer. People say, well, how, how, you know, we hear about people who are sick or I have a loved one or a family member, our sister, really straight. Well, how often should we pray? Well, I, I mean, I don't want to, I mean, I, I'm just going to keep on praying to God about the same thing over and over because I kind of run out of things to say. What do I say? Just pray. Don't ever stop praying. God never says, you know, like we were to our parents when we get a little older, you know, hey, just give me a second and I'll be with you. Just go to your room for a little bit. God doesn't do that. Our prayers never burden God. And never are laborsome to God. Oh, is it you again? Hey, I heard that yesterday. I'm aware. I'm working on that. Just give me no. Pray with that ceasing. Paul says he prayed continually. He was telling them in his letter to Ephesus. And, and what's interesting is what he asked them to, what he's praying about. And Paul describes this prayer for us here. Look what he says here. We'll start, go back to verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith, their testimony in the Lord Jesus, and love to the saints, and your towards another, I do not cease and give a thanks, remembering you in my prayers. Here's verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of what? Ah, wisdom. So Paul tells us right here, you know, I'm praying for this wisdom, this wisdom that will bring about revelation in the knowledge of who? Him, Christ. So Paul's praying specifically for the church that they garner or grasp this knowledge and through that knowledge, through the Holy Spirit, gives them a revelation, a deeper understanding, doctrinal understanding of who Christ is. Verse 18, that having eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope. So right there, it says, I want you to, to I'm praying that you'll get this knowledge, and through this knowledge, it'll bring about revelation to the Holy Spirit and it will enlighten your eyes and your heart to what? Hope. To the hope we have in Christ. Then he goes on. Uh, to which uh, he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious what? Inheritance. So he says, so one, I want you to understand through this knowledge and, and revelation, the hope we have in Christ. But I also want you to understand that we have this worth in Christ. This worth we have is laid out in the promised inheritance we have to eternal life. God has promised us that we will be co-heirs with Christ. For us to think that we don't have any worth or we're worthless or we don't matter to God or God won't use me. Or, no, <laughs> you have been, you and I, who is a believer in Christ, have been given the keys to the kingdom of God. How long did it take for your parents to even trusted your knucklehead to have keys to the house by yourself? 
I remember trying to tell my mom, well, just leave a key for me. Well, I ain't leaving you a key. You know? <laughs> you'll lose it. Somebody will break in, or who knows what hour you'll come in. The time that I finally got a key, you know, it was like, wow. Then my two, my three knucklehead boys came along. Sam was like, well, just leave them a key. I said, there ain't no way. <laughs> there ain't no way, because I know what I was doing, and I ain't going to leave them a key either. You know, so but we got this, this key that establishes our worth. We accept Christ, and God says, look, with you, you know, you know, you know expanded the point here. Not only do you have eternal life in heaven, but here's the key, and that key gives you inheritance. He goes on to say in verse 19, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his what? Power. So not only does Paul want us to understand and grasp the hope we have in God, he wants us to understand the worth by way of the inheritance, co-inheritance we have in Christ. And then three, he wants us to understand the power of Christ that is bestowed upon us through the Holy Spirit towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. Now, I'm going to stop there because it goes on to verses right there. It picks up in 20. It runs through 23, and it talks about the supremacy of Christ. So I established these four things because we're going to come back and close just real shortly on these four points. The hope we have, the worth we have, the power we have, and the supremacy of Christ. So this, these four things are the foundation of Paul's prayer for the church of Ephesus. And we're going to see in John, I think very clearly, John points out that that prayer applies to us too in the New Testament church today. Not just Ephesus, not only the believers in Ephesus. Paul wants us all to understand the hope, the worth, the power, and the supremacy of Christ in our life. And Paul, according to his own words, prayed for that for them daily without ceasing. Isn't it nice to know that somebody is praying that over us, has prayed that over us, and how powerful it is. We talk about oxygen to breathe. What if we're praying prayers over each other? Praying prayers like this over family members and loved ones and friends we know that are struggling. I mean, prayer's prayer. God understands our heart. But you got to understand, there's some emphasis placed here. Then we say, hey, man, I'm really going to pray for you, Steve. I know you're having a tough time. God help, Steve. I know he's struggling. Amen. Now, that can be sincere. Or I can back away, be quiet, turn everything off, and I can pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon Stephen with knowledge and revelation to show the revealing of the hope and the worth you know, in the inheritance and the power he has through Christ all through the supreme. I do think that is a different level of prayer. And God, will, does he not answer our prayers according to his will and purpose? So if we pray specifically or we pray generally and God answers both, how would you want somebody praying for you, generally or specifically? Specifically. Paul did for Ephesus. We're going to see he does for us. Now let's go back to verse 15. And uh, 
a couple more points, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap this up, going back to these three. Verse 15 says, For this reason, because I've heard of your what? Faith. Now, we know faith is, is a verb. It's acted out. It's action. It's driven by what they're doing. So Paul says, I've heard of your faith. What Paul's saying is, I've been made known, and your testimony is out there. Your testimony is seen. Your testimony has been heard by way of your faith. It's producing, which our faith should. In the Lord Jesus Christ, your love towards the saints. So notice here, Paul points out the fact that their testimony was thriving. Paul had heard it. Two, their faith in Jesus was alive and the one that saved them. And three, towards all the what? Saints, brothers and sisters in Christ. So unity. So Paul says, we understand and have heard your testimony. Your testimony is speaking to your faith. And it's all dwelling in the unity of Christ. That's a powerful body right there. We should want that here at Covenant Fellowship. Is our testimony living out? Are people encountering us? And, and, and no reference because it doesn't matter that we go to Covenant, but are they saying the testimony, I've seen Rex's testimony, it's living, it's thriving where he's at. He just so happens to be part of a body of believers at Covenant. Now, is it important that he's a... a a member of covenant or is it important that his testimony is thriving yeah he just so happens to gather with a body of, of saints at the covenant but every one of us should be like that and we want it speaking to us in our testimony to christ but we do also as a family as a body of believers have a unified vision the unity it comes to to all saints that they come to realize that hey i'm coming to realize that that body of believers at Covenant, they got a living, thriving testimony. That's important. Not to promote Covenant, but to promote a body of believers that has the right vision. Not, well, I tell you what, oh, they're Covenant, go there, man, they got all kinds of things going on. They're going on ski trips, and they're doing this, and they're doing that. Or I don't know what they're doing, but everybody I run into at Covenant, they're on fire for Jesus Christ. And you can see their testimony living out. I'd rather be known for that than the last ski trip the church took. Or the last conference the church went to. Or the last outing at a you know, little tourist town the church went to. That's not the unity Christ is calling us to. This is the unity Christ is calling us to, and this is why Paul is praising Ephesus on what they're doing. We should mirror that. These points that Paul acknowledges, and he acknowledges their walk and their power, their testimony in it. It must be important, or Paul would not be bringing this out in the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit's put it on Paul's heart to bring this forth. Meaning what? So what can we see through this? Just what Paul mentions to Ephesus. I think when you say that genuine faith normally reveals genuine love within the body of Christ. I think a genuine, active faith will bring about a love within the body of, a, of Christ that is testimonial. I think genuine faith normally reveals transformation and spiritual growth through the believer. 
I think genuine faith normally reveals a true gratefulness in Christ and not boasting in what they're doing. Ephesus was a very humble church. Genuine faith normally reveals an active prayer life, a thriving prayer life. And again, I think faith normally reveals unity and servitude within the body. I think we can make a fair argument. This is what Paul is referencing to. All in these first four or five verses, from 15 to 20, before he gets into the supremacy of Christ. So how do we mirror that? How do we do that? Well, I think verse 17 is a big key to it. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may be or may give you the spirit of wisdom and knowledge in the knowledge of, you know, the knowledge of him. So how do we get this knowledge? How do we gather this knowledge of the Godhead? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's important. We go back to the start of the letter of Ephesus. Paul makes the quick, the quick reference. We're only, uh, we're, we're, we're just one chapter in. We're halfway through the first chapter, and the first thing Paul gets to the basis of, knowledge of him. Now, I think we need to ask ourselves and consider the fact, can you not know something about someone and not really know someone? That happens within the church body. I, I, I know of them. I know some things about them, but I don't know them intimately. Very much happens with our Lord and Savior. You go hang out at church enough, you hang around with thriving Christians enough, will you not, what's the word, through osmosis, learn some things of Jesus? Yeah. But you hear another Christian that's thriving in their relationship with Christ, and you hear of Jesus about them, does that mean you know Jesus? like they do no you know of them but you don't know them this is what paul's saying is in a prayer that this knowledge and wisdom that they would that they or you know the church of Ephesus would gain knowledge of jesus christ that's so important consider the fact that without god's revealing knowledge that Paul's praying for specifically. If we did not have this wisdom and this revelation that Paul's praying about, if we didn't have that manifest in our life, if that transformation did not ever come about in our life, does it matter how much the Holy Spirit reveals to us? Without knowledge and revelation, could not the Holy Spirit unveil unlimited knowledge and does us no good? If you don't know him, if you don't have that knowledge and understanding, you, you know, Jonathan Edwards, most of us are familiar with Jonathan Edwards, a great scholar and writer. I took, cut some of this out of a larger quote he had, but he said, spiritual sight is the greatest gift in all of the world that God can give to us. 
Also, he's talking you know, beyond salvation because he's talking to believers or about believers. Spiritual sight is the greatest gift in all the world that God can give to us. He references in that article I was reading the fact that honey, how sweet it is. And it would burst onto our tongue if we had never tasted anything sweet before in our life. What if you heard about sweets? And then all of a sudden, somebody gives you a honeycomb. Would that not be a revelation? Wow, I didn't know it tasted like that. That's the difference between knowing of Christ and knowing Christ. Knowing of Christ, you hear about revelation. Knowing Christ, when that revelation is received, it's like it's bursting forth in our spirit. It's a revelation. It enlightens our spirit. It awakens our spirit. It brings a sweetness to our spirit. It becomes transformational. It fuels our testimony in one's walk. Nothing seems, you know, well, I mean, think of a lighthouse. If you're going through a storm in the sea at night, how valuable is that lighthouse? Are you going to crash the ship into the shore or to the rocks? So that lighthouse is, is invaluable. The knowledge that it, it, it offers the revelation, because you know about lighthouses, you know about what they're, you know, there to protect you against the rocks and the shoreline. You understand all that. So when you see the lighthouse in a storm at night, it brings great revelation, does it not? A sense of, oh, okay, there's hope here. Well, what about when we're in the storms of life at, at a proverbial nighttime? How important is the the light of Christ in our life. How much of a revelation, how revealing is that for us in such times? This is what Jonathan Edwards was alluding to. Paul's pointing out the fact that this, this knowledge that he's praying for, this revelation is that we can have, according to John 10, 10, have that life and have it more abundantly. We can have a life. We live a life. You can be a Christian and live a life. But just because you're a believer and you haven't grown into your Christianity, you're just a believer immature, then you're going to miss the abundance of life that God's called us to have. It's a difference of getting from a believer to a Christian, Christian, i.e. Christ-like. Believers aren't necessarily Christ-like. They're believers, names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but they can live life but not live life in the abundance that John 10.10 10 promises us. John 10.10 10 is a promise of what we can obtain as we obtain or grow in our knowledge and wisdom in and of Christ. In Exodus 6.7, I think I give that to you, Mark. Yeah, there it is. Got it up there? Is it back there? Oh, there it is. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. If you go back and 
the, the man that uh, we sent out a, a, a daily one-verse devotional walking through each chapter of the Bible, been doing it for a while to all the men. If you go back and reference that, we know when Joshua pointed out that Joshua tells them when he draws the leaders together, he says, paraphrasing, he says, there is not one promise that God made that did not come to light. Not one. Joshua says, you cannot find one promise that God made to the nation of Israel that he did not bring to fruition. This is a promise. It's the same thing we see revealed when the Hebrews left, left Egypt. He, you know, freedom from slavery became their God, accepted them as his people, and led them towards the promised land that he gave them. This is the assurance. This is the deliverance. This is the hope and the worth we have in Christ. So all this Paul's pointing out in these, these four little verses here. There's a lot to unpack there. So let's go back to these four things, and we'll close with this. Go back to the four truths that Paul pointed out when he dealt with, our, with the hope we have in Christ, the worth in Christ, the power of Christ, and then he closes with his supremacy in verse 1. But referring to hope, the hope that Paul's wanting to point our attention to, one of the big popes, is that one day is promised, just like he promised to the nation of, you know, to the Hebrews in Egypt, we will stand face to face with our Lord and Savior. Face to face. But when we stand there, it doesn't have to be a first time acquaintance. Oh, you're Jesus. I'm glad I finally got to meet you. Do we have to live that way? Does it have to be a surprise meeting? Now, it may be a little surprise you run into a bridge pillar or something, but my point is when you get there, you're not surprised who and what Christ is. You're just rejoicing that you're now in his presence, which is a whole new life. But it doesn't have to be like a first time. So our hope is in the fact that one day we are promised that we will stand face to face with he who saved us. For eternity. Two, Paul wants us to understand our worth. Just the fact that that one day when it comes, standing in his presence, what more fulfills our worth to Christ? Because the only reason we'd be standing in his presence was because of what he did on the cross, correct? And if we can't find our worth through the cross alone, we're going to have trouble finding our worth anywhere else. That he willfully died for each and every one of us individually. Not, well, I died for a group, and, you know, Todd, you just got lucky and you were in that group. No. He died for each and every one of us for our individual sins. He knows every sin we ever committed and will commit. Our worth, you know, there are different, all types of different isms about that. You know, how do you spell worth? C-R-O-S-S. Our worth is in the cross and of the cross. And three, when Paul was talking about to have this knowledge and this revelation to the power of he, you know, Christ that lives in us. 
you know, if we think of the most powerful thing we've ever witnessed with our own eyes. Don't know what it is. You know, seeing a rocket ship take off, that's pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, you know, stand on, you know, probably a bunch of us are stood on the flight decks of nuclear aircraft carriers. And the thought that that thing even floats. And then you're standing beside an F-16 and you realize what always, by reference, looks small when you're standing there. You realize even how big an F-16 still is. And they're landing and taking off by the hundreds. But you think of such power that we can witness with our eyes or have witnessed. How does that compare to the power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave? That exact same power in the fullness of that power, not minimizing any aspect of it, dwells in us to the fullest. Not an abbreviated version. Oh, that was a supernatural power that got Jesus out, and that was just for, you know, that same Holy Spirit. The third person in the triune Godhead in the fullness of his power dwells within us. Paul says we got to grasp that. Was it Romans 8, 11? Yeah. In the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, you, us. He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your or our mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in us. That's a power that we can't grasp. It's a power that Paul says we need to strive towards and we need to be encouraged by and have hope in and understand if we weren't worth anything, we're the third person the trying Godhead step out of eternity and step into these temporal creations if we weren't worth anything. And then number four, his supremacy. We can go back and read verses 20 through 23 and we'll close. Uh, not that. Can we go back to Ephesians 1, Mark 20? I'm sorry. We'll close with that here in a second. That he worked in Christ, uh, excuse me, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand of the heavenly places of the Father. For above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul defines the supremacy of Christ, that he rose from the dead. He's seated on the right hand of the Father. His name is above all names that there ever was and is to come. All of creation, heaven and earth, were placed under his feet. He is the head of the church, the body of believers, the saints. And he fills or he fulfills everything in every way. This is who Paul is praying to Ephesus for. And we're about to see in John 17, he's praying for us as well, that we grasp this knowledge 
and this revelation that we have in and through Christ. Let's look at John 17. We'll close. I do not, I do not ask for these only. In context, remember he's writing to Ephesus here. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will, what? At the time Paul wrote that letter, aren't we the who? Yeah, we're the who. Not the rock band, the who. Get your minds back here. Some of y'all are already out thinking of your glory days. No, of those who will believe in me through their word. We got these same promises for our life today. These specifics, this hope, this worth, this power in the supremacy of Christ that is thriving in our life. Paul thought it was a big enough deal to the church of Ephesus to lay it out for them. Shame on us if we don't take it to heart and grasp it for ourselves. Amen? Thoughts, comments? as he does now great point yeah. but it also did But I think we can make a point. You, you, you pointed out power, and it definitely illustrates that, supports that. But let's go back to hope. Do you have better hope now than you did with a needle in your arm? But but you're but, but uh, true. But I was saying. But do you have better hope now than the hope you had when you were a drug addict? You didn't. Uh, you didn't see that hope. You see it now. But it was the same hope. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Now you didn't have wisdom and revelation when you were a drug addict to see that hope. Now that hope's thriving in you. And this is what Paul's praying for. And same thing about worth. Are you worth more to God now than when you were a drug addict? So really, our hope, our worth, his power, and even his supremacy, why it wasn't supreme in your life now, to where there's more of it now, was Christ not still supreme even when you were an addict? So this has always been there. That's why Paul's saying, I'm not praying for them only, but to everyone that believes in Christ has these same promises of hope and worth. You know, and, uh, you know, power. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, that's true. And, you know, that, to me, power is, there's so many aspects of my faith that I'm always having to work on. But I, I know, I, I, well, I do know, without it, I know how much in, in different ways when I look at my life, even today, that I suppress that power within me. You know what I'm saying? That he, that's been gifted to me, that dwells in me. And I, I, times I look back, that why didn't I rely on that 100%? But, you know, I, I want to throw in a little bit of my power with it, you know, a little bit of my wisdom, a little bit of my that. Oh, the Spirit's like, oh, I appreciate the gesture, but <laughs> I don't need any help, Todd. You know, I just need for you to surrender and let my power flourish in you and not get in the way. And uh, so, anybody else? All right, well, let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word that uh, Paul so eloquently just just pours out in this prayer for the church there in Ephesus that we see through John 17 is for our church here, right here today, and every church around us down the street in this nation has an opportunity and has been called to see this hope, this worth, this power we have in the supremacy of Christ. And Paul's telling us we get there. We've got to grow in our knowledge of Christ and through that knowledge, the revelation that will reveal who and what Christ is. And uh, that's got to be our goal. That's got to be our strive, our faith to hold on and, and, to, uh, and to walk in these promises that we have in every aspect of these. Our hope, all these have promises upon promises through the scriptures uh, to them. We've got to seek out those promises through your word and take them to heart and, and live them out through our faith. Father, we thank you for challenging us. Thank you for this walk. Just help us to... Uh, just meditate on this through this week and, uh, uh, and this alone. Use it to grow in our faith in Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, if